What's up, guys? It's Liz Kelly, and welcome to the Ringer Podcast Network. Before you get to the show, make sure you check out theringer.com for our extensive NFL coverage leading up to the Super Bowl. We also just published our 2019 NFL Draft Guide, where you can find all things draft-related leading up to the first round on April 25th. It includes prospect rankings, scouting reports, mock drafts, and much more. We'll be updating it regularly with new analysis that takes all the latest developments into account. Once again, you can check that out on theringer.com. Who's the man? You are Stuff of Legends. Proof of Life, coming up next. People take hostages all over the world. Sometimes it's purely terror. Other times it's simply about money. We wait for a contact, then make a demand. We start negotiating. This is what we do. We do it the world over, and we're very good at it. You pull this off, suddenly it's a fairy tale ending. It doesn't work that way, and you know it. All right, Bill Simpson is here. Chris Ryan is here. We started the Rewatchables. We didn't even know it was called the Rewatchables. We decided the first year of The Ringer, well before we even had a website, yeah. December 2015, I was gone from Grantland, I would say, seven, eight months. We decided to work together again. We were planning the new site. We had started my podcast. We had started The Watch. That was basically The Ringer Podcast Network, heading into the holidays, 2015. And you and I, we kept going into these website planning meetings and we would just do quotes from Heat. <laughs> and then finally somebody said, you should just do a whole podcast about Heat. Yeah, I, th- I think we said that. Actually, <laughs> I think I said that to you. <laughs> so we did Heat. We did a whole podcast about how much we loved Heat, which basically became the rewatch. Yeah. So now we've done like 55 of these. People seem to like it. Every once in a while, we got to do one for us. Yeah. This it's is like- 15 for them, one for us. That's right. That's right. And I think that this may not be the highest rated rewatchables we've ever done. But for me, this is like, uh, we're going to talk about Proof of Life, the 2000 thriller set set in South America starring Russell Crowe and Meg Ryan. And it's like the Velvet Underground. It's like, they didn't sell a lot of records, but everybody (laughs) who heard them started their own band. Not a lot of people are going to listen to Proof of Life, but everybody who does is going to want to start their own Proof of Life podcast. We, (laughs) you think it'll just start them up? Yeah. I, uh... I, my goal for this podcast is even if you've never seen Proof of Life or you've only seen it once, we're going to make <laughs> it fun for you anyway. Okay. Because we have Russell Crowe stuff to talk about. We have one of the most famous romances that actually bled into the real movie that uh, has ever happened. Yeah. Certainly for this century. There's a Russell Crowe, Meg Ryan, career arc, apex conversation I have. And most important to me and Chris the whole kidnap ransom movie genre. Yes, which is really, really central to our origin myth. And there's one other piece that we won't mention yet, but you and I both love ransom and kidnap movies. Why? Because it's it's extreme drama. It puts so many characters in such extreme situations and it makes them react in ways that they wouldn't in any other kind of uh, scenario. So you've got parental anxiety or husband-wife anxiety. And then you've got these people who are not used to action and not used to being around guns and money getting treated. And then yeah. there's always like three or four twists. But, you know, we're avowed Man on Fire fans. Yeah. We love Ransom, High and Low. Like, there's just, you know, so many. I have 
so I separated into ransom movies and kidnapping movies. Okay. Ransom movies where you get kidnapped, but you get kidnapped for a purpose. I would say the Mount Rushmore is Man on Fire, Proof of Life, Ransom, and Fargo. Yeah, those are, that's a great call. If I missed one, I can't think of it. Yeah. Just for the actual. I think that's, that, that's Rushmore for sure. Here's the price. Are you going to pay this or not? And we can go on all the dynamics of this. Then there's kidnapping movies. So like Taken, mm-hmm. Misery, Pain and Gain. Gone Baby Gone. Pain and Gain. Pain and Gain. Kidnapping movie. Yeah. Uh, Gone Baby Gone. Hardcore. Uh-huh. Kidnap with Halle Berry. Oh, yeah. 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 So those are different. Would like, you put Silence of the Lambs in the kidnapping genre? Mm, there's a whiff of it. Yeah, you can grandfather it it's in. It's a cousin. Yeah. It's a cousin. The senator's daughter. Yeah. And the, and I even, I like kidnapping stuff so much that I even watched, there was an NBC show with Jeremy Sisto. Oh, Timothy yeah. Hutton. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Which I can't remember the name of it, but I want to say it was called like Kidnapping or Taken. It had some one of those type, type of titles. And Sisto was the guy they hired to see what happened. And it's usually if it's done correctly, there's at least two, three really good twists. Yeah. Man on Fire, which is the other. I man on, To me, Man on Fire and Proof of Life are the two best ones. Yeah, and I think that it's, it's primarily because both of those movies have, they're set, you know, a man of fire set in New Mexico in Mexico and proof of life is set in a fictional South American country. But they both have that ex-military layer of like jargon and also yeah. that confusion of like these are guys who used to be special forces who have now been hired by insurance companies or whoever else to be security right. or K and R in the case of Proof of Life. And you just get such a like a crazy deep, you know, shadow world out of that. And there's you have I love movies where I have to put myself in this situation. Oh yeah. Yeah. So in Proof of Life, Meg Ryan's husband gets taken, played by David Morris. The the kidnappers are demanding a price. And then it's like, oh, could you cobble together six fifty? And there and Meg Ryan and her sister in law, played by Pamela Reed, are like, Can you do six fifty? You'd have to mortgage. Yeah, yeah. It's always there's some point where you just kind of have to look at each other and go, eh, I'll remarry. <laughs> Well, especially if you've got Russell Crowe batting <laughs> yeah, his baby like, blues at you. Yeah. yeah, let's let him go. Well, that's the great part about this, Let's play this, hardball. Right? Like, there is a certain number where they don't have the money. They literally. just don't have yeah. it. Yeah, and I, yeah. I love that part of this movie where Janice has to go back to Denver to put the money together. Like, yeah. she's building it. Because, like, now you get this sense that you just be like, click, 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 and call your financial advisor. Not, I mean, not to say nothing of, like, how much money you'd be able to get. But it just seems so much easier. But back then, you used to hear more, I got to move some things around yeah. to make this work. Yeah. And I don't, I, you know, like, when you were buying a car, it was like, well, I got to move some things around if I'm going to buy this yeah. car. But now yeah. it's not like that. But back then, you had to go back to Denver. South America, great location. South America, Mexico. I There's something about... Because there's been a couple kidnapping movies and then you read the stories. Like, it does feel much more realistic for some reason. Yeah. I mean, like I th- the scene when he gets kidnapped in this movie, it feels realistic. It's like there's a parade. He's got to go. He's got to take a different route. And all of a sudden, he's in. Yeah. So, this movie is set in the fictional country of Takala, right? Yeah. I actually, I wanted a vacation there, but it, that's it, how it, I found it, out it was fictional. Right. And, but they do a really good job of making, giving you a sense of place. Like when David Morse's character, uh, Peter gets kidnapped, he can see this, like the, where he was supposed to be 
Like yeah. right off, it's like the last thing he sees before they put him in the truck. Yeah. So you definitely have like this sense of how precarious life is there. Yeah. Yeah. And like these roads where if you take a right, you go flying off the cliff. And yeah. All this stuff. So good scene for a thing. This actually was directed by Taylor Hackford, mm-hmm. who did Blood In, Blood Out, Shea Serrano's favorite movie, Officer and a Gentleman. Has had some successful ones, has had some less successful ones. Written by Tony Gilroy. Yeah, who want to talk about that a lot. Yeah, who yeah. is one of the uh, best screen, best new screenwriters of the last 25, 30 years. Inspired by a Vanity Fair magazine article called Adventures of the Ransom Trade and a book called The Long March to Freedom. It came out, it did not do that well. Yeah. 10 million opening weekend. International box office of 62 million. Not great. 5.3 Rotten Tomatoes. Mixed reviews. Roger Ebert said, I was interested all through the movie. Interested, but not riveted. I cared, but not quite enough. That's another loss for Roger Ebert. He's having a really terrible so 2019 do you think the that, I'm trying to put myself back in 2000. I can't remember seeing this in theaters per se, but I remember caring a lot oh, about it because, the theater, it because, of, because of the relationship. I remember it being like on the tabloids. I think I was in New York right around then, and it was like on the po- in the New York Post that yeah. they had gotten together on this movie. And early internet, not pre-internet, but still the internet... This happens now. It's a much bigger deal. Yeah, but it's it's so strange to go back and watch it now because it, it whatever was wrong, what people thought was wrong with it back in 2000, it's like everything that could possibly be right with a movie now. Yeah. And it's everything that movies don't do now where it's like, oh, this, this couple's going to have like a 10-minute fight so that it completely explains all the behavior afterwards. You know what yeah. I mean? Like you get these psychological insights into people and they really take their time with it, but it doesn't feel like a two hour and 15 minute movie. I mean, after a while I could probably do with like eight to 10% less David Morse foot injuries, but like, that's pretty much only thing I would cut out of this thing. That's always a good kidnapping subplot. Right. When there's something wrong physically with the person. <laughs> yeah. Like it's like a hip or cuts on the feet or something's got, something's gone something's, wrong. Physically. Something's infected. Yeah. Something's yeah. infected. It, like Castaway has that too, where it's like, he's got the tooth issue. Yeah. It's always put some sort of human. I had only it. just recovered uh, as a, as a young man from just finally getting over Bruce Willis's feet and die hard. So oh was, yeah. That's, this is tough one. for me to watch. Yeah. yeah. So, that romance ruined the movie. You think so? It, it ruined the success of it. Okay. Yeah. And we'll we'll talk about that in a second. But Meg Ryan was paid 15 million bucks. Crow is Crow has paid 7.5. So the rare case of the woman getting twice as much as the uh the man. Now, really interesting point in both of their careers. So Meg Ryan, her her uh 10-year run, 89 to 98. When Harry Met Sally is 89. Now you go through, she becomes basically the rom-com queen, is in a bunch of good stuff. Did really good work in Courage Under Fire. Yeah. Which was an excellent movie. I also liked her a lot in Flesh and Bone. Yeah. Yeah. You Got Mail is 1998. This movie is 2000. So it's at the tail end. It's really hard, I think, as a lead actress to kind of keep that lead because there's always that next one. You're like you're almost like a running back. They're there's always going to bounce you for the next year. It's, just, it's like an unintentional passing of the torch. Yeah. Right here between Ryan and Crow. Not necessarily the same kinds of movies, obviously, and not right. even like the same levels of success. But in terms of like 10-year runs, it's literally like he takes her life force in this movie and then goes on to have like one of the best eight-year runs that yeah. we've seen in a long time. So he he's coming in 97 to 03. And he'd been one of those guys. He was kind of the hot next guy. Best guy in a bad movie. For years. Yeah. I remember when he was in Virtuosity. And it was like, this is, 
Russell and Denzel. This is going to be a thing. And he, you know. he does LA Confidential. So that's when it starts. 9703, LA Confidential. Mystery Alaska, which is a really flawed movie. He's really good in it. Yeah. And I, I actually give that movie a belated thumbs up because I think there's a lot of good stuff going on in there. Our friend Colm Meany, he ruins that one too <laughs> from Con Air. We've made fun of him before. So Mystery Alaska. Then The Insider, he does the gain weight thing. When are we doing Insider? Maybe this year. <sighs> yeah. Great in that. Gains the weight. Gladiator. That's when he blows up. Yeah. He becomes... Is he the biggest star in the world after Gladiator? I think he takes over the Mel Gibson, Harrison Ford spot. Yes, fair. Because Leo is three years after Titanic, mm -hmm. probably the most famous. Yeah, so you got the Harrison Ford. Who was the other one you said? Mel Gibson. That 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 role. So that he takes kind the of like, Gibson spot. Yeah. Because I think 10 years earlier, the Proof of Life is a Mel Gibson movie. The, Harrison Ford and Gibson were both up for this. Yeah. Yeah. So he goes, LA Confidential, Mystery Alaska, The Insider, Gladiator, Proof of Life. A Beautiful Mind. Mm -hmm. And then he just like basically runs the Oscars. Master and Commander. Which I love. So he does, he makes seven movies, five of which were nominated for Best Picture. And uh, and Gladiator actually won. Mm -hmm. So I read this online. It must be true. Really hard to do that. The for last person who had done that before him was William Hurt, who had five and six years nominated okay. for Best Picture. But that's just a high, the, the Hollinger, the Crow PR is off the charts. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But then after that, follows it up with Cinderella Man, A Good Year, 310 to Yuma, American Gangster, Body of Lies, State of Play. None of which got there. You like 310 to Yuma more than I do. I like 310 to Yuma. I also, uh, I still like American Gangster. And I think Body of Lies is really underrated. But this feels a lot like the second half of a 10-year contract you give to a 28-year-old yes. baseball player. Yeah. You know what I mean? Where he's like, whoa, he's crushing it with everything we, every penny was worth it. And then you're like, ah, 22 homers yeah, and a hamstring injury every you're year. You're losing in the first yeah. round each year. Yeah. But he's working with, he gets to work with Ron Howard. He gets to do like his weird wine movie. He gets to work with Denzel. Mm -hmm. He gets to work with Leo. He does Ben Affleck. So he's... They're all movies that made sense. And when I heard of them, I thought all of them were going to do well. Oh, yeah. And none of them really hammered home. Still, 97 to 09. Incredible run. It got me thinking, like, I like what you said about Gibson. Who was the one? The Harrison one? Ford. Harrison Ford. Mm -hmm. So who took the torch from Russell Crowe in, like, the late 2000s? So is this, this is, to play into my idea of, like, you, you know, you see these people and they get, they do a movie together and then that one person takes it from another person. Yeah. So you could kind of make the argument that Meg Ryan is a huge star. Russell Crowe does Proof of Life. He's also in Gladiator that year, so it's not quite right. And he's already been in It's almost like it follows. And it's then the he, IMD, it follows. And then he bounces from that. Yeah. And then that Leo really takes it from him. In Body of Lies, because in Body of Lies, he inexplicably goes back to his insider weight, and he's kind of like this guy who's just like on right. his cell phone, and he's like on a Bluetooth speaker. I don't the know entire if it was inexplicably. I think he might have just gained the weight. Yeah, but like, and then Leo, Leo becomes kind of like. I mean, he's already a really bankable Oscar I guy. I don't feel like it's Leo because two years before in 06 was The Departed and Blood Diamond. That's true. So he had kind of taken it by that point. But I feel like Leo's in his own category. There's this other category of like, and this is why Mel Gibson and Russell Crowe, it's funny, they're both they're both Australian, right? Was Mel Gibson was Australian or was yeah, he New Zealand? Yeah, they're both Australian, yeah. Russell Crowe was Australian or yeah. New Zealand? Yeah, yes. yeah. Um, Those guys that, and this is why I think Proof of Life, as crazy as this sounds, 
is probably the best Russell Crowe part. I don't think it's his best part, but I think it's the part that uses the most pieces of Russell Crowe because it's like, cool guy. I'd want to hang out with him. Um, way better hang than Maximus. Way, way better hang than yeah. Maximus. Like the scenes with Caruso and like, oh, here's our team. Like, it just feels like he's a guy's guy. You can see him as the dad who's kind of bummed out. He has that one scene mm-hmm. where he goes see his kid with the rugby. I'm the dad. I mean well, but the job overwhelms me sometimes. Then it's like, he's a good looking guy. You don't want to leave him alone with your wife when yeah. you've been kidnapped. He's going to pull that out. But also like a dutiful guy where it's like, you're married. I'm not going to steal you from your kidnapped husband. Yes. Like, there's some sense of honor. He juggled all of these things, and I think it's really hard for an actor to do that. And that's why I like the Mel Gibson call you made. Because I think Mel Gibson was like that until he fucking lost his marbles. Yeah. But was Mel Gibson was this guy, like the Lethal Weapon character is like, great guy. I'm in on that guy. He's fucking crazy. But but then he could play somebody else a different thing. And I, it's really hard. Like I think Affleck has tried to be the Russell Crowe type forever but just could never put all the pieces of the uh, meal together. Yeah. No, I think the Mel Gibson call is really right because he brings a degree of authenticity and uh, wild-eyed, you know, real, like, instability almost to that lethal weapon part. Yeah. And there's a degree of, like, warmth. To be able to juggle, like, being warm and then also being dangerous is really tough. And that's what Crow does in Proof of Life. This movie made me miss Russell Crowe. Oh, yeah. It's like how I'll watch some... Vintage Tim Duncan from 03. I'm like, ah, oh, man, I fucking miss watching Tim Duncan. Yeah. Just the 50. It's a good analogy. Bank. It's a good, like, it's yeah. like quiet. It's like one of those great basketball efficiency. players. You, just, yeah. you see the old YouTube clip, you're like, ah, oh, man, Jason Kidd running the fast break. You're like, ah, oh, it's the best, man. Jason Kidd on the fast break. Also, like, he, him as like a movie star and not like, oh, I'm really going to go for this, like, the, the basically like the Oscar bait. This is it. This this and Gladiator, like my wife and I were watching this last night and she was like, Russell Crowe's like really attractive. Fucking, yeah, handsome dude. And she had never really like, all she knows him from is the sort of more bloated stuff and and like Gladiator. And she was like, But God. that's the thing. It's like you have the guy that guys would want to hang out with mm-hmm. and girls would want to make out with mm-hmm. is pretty much the hardest thing to pull off as an actor. And even somebody like Leo, like we wouldn't, can't imagine hanging out with Leo. No. I feel like Russell Crowe would do a podcast. Be like, all right, mate, we're going to go have a beer. What do you drink around here <laughs> at the br- ringer? He'd bring his own bar. <laughs> he probably like, would. Yeah. Like he had, uh, when he was at the height of his fame, he also started that weird music band. Yeah, like and 40 they play, odd grunts of whatever. Like, yeah, yeah, and they'd play in Australia and they would sell out like 15,000, 20,000. Yeah. Thing arena. So I just, he was a unique dude. So anyway, they fall in love. Word gets out. So that she's married to Dennis Quaid, who is at that point still really famous. This has happened a couple of times in history, famously. 1963, Elizabeth Taylor, Richard Burton, Cleopatra. Mm-hmm. They fall in love. All the whatever the Us Weeklies and stuff of that era just going nuts about it. And then people feel like it actually hurt the movie. 1972, Ali McGraw, Steve McQueen. The getaway, right? Steve McQueen steals it from Robert Evans. Yeah. She's the best pair of legs I ever had. Yeah. And uh, and that actually helped the movie. Yeah. We'll give it like an air of like romance that's not really there. Yeah. Mr. and Mrs. Smith, which is after this, Brad Pitt, Angelina Jolie, that's another the, one. That's the peak. Did it, did they hook up? Who knows? So it can it could go either way. And in this case, definitely hurt the movie. Taylor Hackford gave an interview after, which I found, I dug up, where he said, um, he had a press conference 
and they asked him about, did the affair really help your film? And he said, no, it actually hurt it. And Russell Crowe was so mad he never talked to him again. So what was, what did, how did it hurt it? Because people were like, we're, we're, we feel bad for Dennis Quaid, so we're well, not rooting for this couple? Yeah, I think what happened was Meg Ryan was America's sweetheart for the entire 1990s. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, she's basically dumping her older husband for handsome as hell Russell Crowe. Yeah, and I guess also the problem, I guess the, it plays into who she plays in this movie, where it's just like, it's not a Meg Ryan part. But that's what's so great about I this know, movie. Is I know, I know! The plot is paralleling the real life, and I do feel like there are real sparks where you can kind of see where it's, it's something's changing. Oh, yeah. But it bleeds into the movie in all the right ways, which is what makes it so cool. It's such a complicated love triangle. Because yeah. it, because when you add in the kidnapping part, there's so much guilt in there because they have so much guilt even for just like interacting. Yeah. And then he's like, there's that point where they basically think that David Morse's character is dead. And he's like, no, I'm not I'm basing it on instinct. I'm not going to do it until I see a body. Yeah. And she's just like, let me grieve, you know, like, she let me go. Him. Yeah. Yeah. Let me grieve. It's so a we really can go nuanced room. and complicated thing. Janice is gone. We yeah. can do it. <laughs> it does make you think like, uh, well, we'll get to that because I have some thoughts on that. Um, Dennis Quaid told Megan Kelly on Today Show, actually a year ago, that what really ruined their doomed showbiz marriage was his own anger over stepping out to people cheering Meg, Meg, Meg. She became more famous than him. Yeah. Once again, proving the Bill Simmons theory, which is one of my favorite theories. Which is? Is basically based on Ryan Philippe and Reese Witherspoon. When people start out equally, celebrity actors. Uh-huh. It's doomed. But one passes the other. One ascends higher than the other one does. You can't last. It's but wasn't over. he bigger and then she no, came the up same. through Interspace? Like after they met Interspace. on, on Interspace right. and they were pretty equal at that point. And then she, she had already been in Top Gun. I, I think they started out equal. When Harry met Sally, she goes higher and then it's over. Yeah. Maybe I guess Big Easy, maybe he was a little... That's not that big of a movie, though. I mean, yeah. like, what's the biggest Dennis they were Quaid close. movie? Reese Witherspoon, Ryan Philippe is the best one because they're on Cruel Intentions. They're dead equal. Mm-hmm. And then she becomes Reese Witherspoon. It's like, that's not lasting. Right. So it'll be, uh, you know. Who's I'm trying, to, trying to think who of a is that of today? Analogy. Who is that of today? I don't know. Who is it today? Well, it's probably like... Chris Pratt, Anna Ferris. Oh, that's another good one. Producer Craig. Craig. Off the bench. Oh, wow. my God. That's great. <laughs> great job, yeah, good man. One. Chris Pratt kind of passed Dana Ferris. Yeah. She's successful. Mm-hmm. Great career. Yeah. Much envied. Chris Pratt's an A-lister. But Chris Pratt's a good example of this Russell Crowe thing. We always talk about the Chris Wars and all the Chris's and you have all these leading actors now. None of them kind of combine all the stuff Russell Crowe has no. in this movie. No. Also, Where there's like some baggage with him that he brings to each movie in a way that you can't even define. He didn't have to play superheroes that everybody already had a preconceived True. notion about what they should be. The hardest thing he had to do or the, the most baggage he had to deal with was playing what most people would be like, oh, that's like Spartacus, right? You know, and like, you're not Kirk Douglas. That's about as much of, you know, these guys have to serve so many masters when they're doing like these superhero movies. And then they also wind up having to make nine of them. So their their prime years are spent making these movies. And very few of them actually wind up parlaying that into like, well, now I'm going to go do this like on the side. I'm going to do this Kenneth Lonergan movie just to like kind of like do to feed my my artistic soul. They get so busy doing this crap that they don't wind up doing that much stuff outside of Captain America yeah, or Iron true. Man or whatever. I mean, we were talking about this on The Watch 
I think a couple of days ago about like what that like with Downey and given the fact that Downey could have probably like greenlit anything he wanted over the last 10 years outside of Iron Man, but all he does is make Iron Man and Sherlock Holmes movies. I mean, he's probably like one of the richest men in the state of California. Right. But he could have made like four or five really great movies on the side there. The point you made, I'm going to add to it. This was probably the last normal career before superhero movies ruined. Mm-hmm. So if Russell Crowe comes along 10 years later, they probably pick him to be like Superman in 1998. Yeah. You know, if we have all the comic book shit we have then. Gladiator is basically a superhero movie, but it's not. It's this expertly crafted, awesome Ridley Scott movie that now, these days, Gladiator would have like superpowers, right? Yeah. Or it would or be, be blind. Like, or he, he could, would be like 300 and it would be like he's in hell or he's like, you yeah. know what I mean? There's like flying elephants or whatever. It's too bad. The one other thing I was going to mention about about Proof of Life before we get into awards, if that's where we're going next, but uh, it's really interesting to look at this on the kind of timeline of thrillers through the 2000s because this is pretty much like the last pre-9-11 thriller. Because mm. all the stuff that happens after that, even if it had been in development before 9-11, I think sort of takes on much more surveillance state stuff war on terror stuff or like a lot of post or during Iraq stuff. And so a lot of the thrillers, like basically it goes from proof of life, which is essentially a romance with an action movie around it to the Bourne movies. And even though the Bourne movies have some really like good interpersonal dynamics, like especially that first one, it winds up being mostly about like the surveillance state and the ability to like zero in on someone's face from a satellite and capture them. Whereas this is very much like they don't find this guy until the priest gets out of the jungle and tells them about where they are. And everything after that is like this digitized, very like related to the, to to, like the way warfare became in the two thousands after nine 11. So it's, it's kind of like a weird last movie before that. And it also has an amazing premise of a movie. Guy's hired to find this wife's husband. Falls, falls in love, with, in love wife. with the wife. Doesn't totally have to save the husband if he doesn't want to. Yeah. Could go save the husband. Could have and an accident. The guy could have an accident. Yeah. <laughs> Grenade could hit him at yeah. the wrong time. We didn't talk about Caruso yet. <laughs> <laughs> There's another piece of this movie. Yeah. It's a great kidnapping movie. It's Russell Crowe at his apex. It's a very strange Meg Ryan performance that's weirdly likable, but we'll get into the pros and cons. It's got a really good plot. I love the South American, the scenery, Mm -hmm. everything. It's just like, you really feel like you're there. And the shoot, which we'll get into, was a nightmare. And then Caruso. Unbelievable. Do do we rename the Dion Waiters Award for him? I kind of feel like we should think about doing that. Or should we change it to the Dino Waiters Award? What was his name in the movie? Dino. The Dino Waiters Award? All right, done. (laughs) That's amazing. I have never in my life... How many have we done? We've done like 55. Yeah. There's never been a better Deion Waiters performance. Oh, absolutely. The, the, it the, is the all-time. It's the Cecil B. DeMille Lifetime Achievement Award. It is Deion Bill Waiters. Walton going 21 for 22 <laughs> in the UCLA championship game. <laughs> it's Don Larson's perfect game. Yeah. It's, he, it's he, Brady in the second half Caruso of the Atlanta Super Bowl. definitely thinks that Proof of Life is about his character. He... He tackles it under the impression this is a David Caruso movie yes. that Russell Crowe and Meg Ryan are also in. Yes. I have more scenes. They just haven't given me the script yet. He speaks yet. three languages in this movie un- <laughs> completely unnecessarily. He's He dials it up to levels that I didn't know were possible. And so just recently, a couple of days ago, because of something else, because I was 
talking about David Milch with somebody else, and I was so I rewatched one of my favorite pieces of television you'll ever see, which is the Dinner for Five episode of John Favreau, Timothy Oliphant, Jay Moore, oh, Michael Rappaport, yeah. and David Milch. And they're talking about Caruso. Yeah. And there's a bunch of different funny anecdotes in there, but there's one thing that I think either I think Jay Moore mentions that Caruso never looks at the person he's acting with, that he's like never looks them in the eyes. Oh yeah, he does. And if you watch, after you hear that, you will never watch anything with Caruso the same again because you're like, he's not even looking at Russell Crowe's in the face when he's sitting as close to Russell Crowe as I am to you. It is so wild. It is such a choice. Tell the other David Milch story from that. Oh man, there's this incredible story where, uh, Caruso and Milch are working on NYPD Blue, and you know Milch has had a pretty like hard living life, and Caruso is probably on like on the ascendancy with his stardom, so he's starting to be like, what what is this crap you're writing? So every day when they're shooting, he's making Milch like explain every line of dialogue and challenging him on everything, and he brings him to the set one day, and he's got Milch there, and Milch and him are going back and forth through every single line of dialogue, and Milch is on dinner for five telling the story, and he's like <laughs> midway through this argument. I realize I'm having a heart attack. <laughs> and he realizes he's having a heart attack, but he won't let Caruso know because he doesn't want Caruso to win the argument. So he finishes the argument and then he turns to the, like, the guy who's like the special consultant on NYPD Blue and is like, take me to the hospital, I'm dying. It's an incredible episode of TV. That you is find pure it. hatred yeah. when you're like, I can't have a heart attack in front of this guy. I don't think he would. <laughs> let him find out later. Uh, so he was an officer and a gentleman in 1982. Yeah. And he's really good in it. He's a good actor. He and was, then it's yeah. like, he was kind of the redheaded guy from Officer and Gentleman, but was in this great movie called Thief of Hearts. Okay. 1984. The star was Manny from, uh, from Scarface, Stephen Bauer. Oh yeah. Okay. And it's David Caruso. And it's some lady that I don't know. I don't remember what her name was or whether she's ever seen it again, but there are these burglars and Stephen Bauer steals her diaries as part of the burglary you, you and starts reading me. them and then realizes like what she likes and wants and uses the diaries as a way to seduce her and they have an affair. <laughs> and it is incredible. And I have no idea why it's not on television. You know, television. it's like some of the, some of the Those 80s plots lines, the best. I just, I just saw a trailer for this movie the other day, because my wife and I were looking around at romantic comedies, and I I actually loved this movie when I saw it. But when I was going back to think about it, it's that movie, it's called Only You, and it's Marissa Tomei and Robert yeah, Downey yeah, Jr. Yeah. Yeah. And it's entirely premised on the fact that Marissa Tomei, when she's a kid, gets a name from a Ouija board of who's going to be her true love. And then like 20 years later, Robert Downey Jr. tells her he's that that guy, but he's lying. And they go on like a trip to Venice together oh and fall God. in love. It's like, what is this movie? Those, but those are like a dime a dozen back then. So then he drifts through the 80s, basically. Gets to the 90s and he's in Mad Dog and Glory. He's really and good. He's really Mad good Dog in Glory. it. Yeah. And I think that got him the NYPD blue part. Um, that was my, my dad and I, I was living in Boston by that time after college. And we watched all the NYPD blues together. The first six, I think, is one of the great six episode yeah. stretches. And I, I just remember being like, this guy's one of the greatest actors of my entire <laughs> lifetime. He was this beaten down guy. And I remember my dad had just gotten the superintendent job for uh, the school system, Easton, where he worked. And he would come home 
and we would watch NYPD Blue and he'd be like, you know why I like this show? Because he's the only guy who has a worse day than me every week. <laughs> and Schwimmer was on it and he was incredible on it. But then there started to be these reports that he was a dick. Oh, yeah. And then he leaves after year one. This is like the hottest cop show, I would say, in a decade. Yeah. And he leaves and everybody's like, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? Like, what's your plan here? Yeah. And he goes and makes Kiss of Death, which I will stand by and fight for for the death with Nick Cage. But then he makes Jade. I love that movie. And then Jade and it falls apart. Yeah. And then it goes through basically the rest of the 90s. He's back on TV by the end of the decade. He does Michael Hayes, yeah. which was the CSI Miami. Doesn't work. His career is stalled. It is now a disaster. It's now six years after NYPD Blue. And then he shows up as Dino. And people are like, oh yeah, Caruso. It's like fucking if, James Cagney. It's for- like if Fredo and Sonny are the same guy <laughs> in this movie. It's unbelievable. He just, he gets dunked on like five times, but he's also like the hothead and he saves the day. And it's just like, I don't- Great I don't, leader? I, I think Gilroy's script is impeccable in this movie. It's really great. I don't know. I would love to know if Caruso went off book. Because mm. there are parts where I'm like, "Don't you fucking die on me!" Yeah, and he's like, "What? Who? What's my name? Asshole! <laughs> he's okay." Like it's like there's so many moments like where I'm like, "Did they improv this? Did Caruso just decide to do this?" Because there's actually like scenes where they emotionally don't make any sense. Like you can't tell what Dino wants, right? Like what the outcome Dino like that wants. Russell Crowe scene yeah. you mentioned before. Yeah, he's trying to talk them into doing the raid, and it's like. Wait, Caruso suggested the raid, but now he doesn't he want to do it, but he actually does? The final raid that they do to get David Morse out of the jungle, David Caruso's character, Dino, essentially like Sean McVeigh's it. Yeah. And then he's just like, I need this. Like, I need to cash out, start my own shop. And if we do this, we'll be legends. Yeah. And then he's like, and I've gone over this in every single way. And it's fucked. <laughs> and Russell Crowe's like, so you're in. And he's like, absolutely. And he changes his mind like four times. And meanwhile, he's got like three guys from Panama with him. And he's like, via con Dios, let's go. I love when, first of all, anybody who says this is my Panama crew. Yeah, this is my Panama crew. I might, I might call Craig in the podcast, but this is my Panama crew. <laughs> like, hold on, I'm going to get Craig from my yeah. Panama crew. Yeah, really dependable so guys. Cool. It's like, I don't know what happened in Panama, but I know it was good. Um, Caruso, so this leads us to the 2000 Best Supporting Actor nominations. I think Caruso and David Morris should have been nominated for this Double, movie. like it's basically like the favorite, but We for didn't guys. talk about David yeah. Morris, but he is like incredible in this movie. And he was a guy, he made a movie called Inside Moves. If which Daniel was, Day-Lewis does this movie, they're still talking about this performance. Oh my God. They're like, gee, his feet, how it do you do it? starts out, he's an engineer. And then at the end, he's like, he looks like Moses and he's got bloody feet. Yeah. Inside Moves, 1979. He plays this bartender who's crippled, who has a crippled knee, who was going to be an NBA player. It doesn't happen. Now he's got these, bar, these band of cripples. Yeah. And they all band together and they buy him a knee surgery and he ends up making the Golden State Warriors. <laughs> and there's scenes with Robert Parrish and like he's serious? actually, I swear to God, John Savage. So he was in that and he was in St. Elsewhere. Yeah. And he played the doctor who got raped on St. Elsewhere. It was like <laughs> the first that. rape in the history of television. But he had like a key part on St. Elsewhere and he's traumatized by the rape, all that stuff. And then he became a that guy. Yeah. And he was like, oh, that guy, the guy from Southern Asshole, the guy from Inside Moves. He had that show on CBS where he's a cab driver, Hack. Remember that? Oh, I made a lot of hack jokes in my day. <laughs> hack. This week on Hack. Uh, 
But then this is his best movie. So anyway, best supporting actor that year, 2000. Benicio Del Toro won for Traffic. Okay. Pretty amazing okay? that. Yeah, I'm We're fine okay with that. With that. Totally I'm okay with that. that. Jeff Bridges did not win for The Contender, but he got nominated. I thought he was amazing in The Contender. Yeah. Joaquin Phoenix, Gladiator. 2000 is like a low-key, pretty good fucking movie. I mean, here. those are like, all three of those could win in other years. Albert Finney and Eric Brockovich? Yeah. That was a weird, I think that was like a, um, like a thanks yeah. for playing, like for the, your, your entire life kind of. It was an old guy. And then Willem Dafoe and Shadow of a Vampire. People love nominating Willem Dafoe for things. That no one's ever seen. This year. Yeah. yeah, it's like, oh, Willem Dafoe's in a weird movie. So here's who didn't get nominated. Caruso and David Morse. Okay, I don't even know if there was a four-year consideration campaign for them. So, <laughs> I wish we, I wish we had known each Should other. Should we start one? Caruso. Should we retroactively start an FYC for Caruso? Caruso and get, like, is there not? What is the thing when you get the career achievement? Yeah, like lifetime achievement. Yeah, lifetime achievement. Mark Ruffalo, you can count on me. Oh my nominated. god, he didn't get nominated. <sighs> Bad one. And then I, I didn't even think of this one until I was researching. Almost Famous came out the year. Billy Crudup and Philip Seymour Hoffman. It's pretty rare that you could do an entire other group of That's nominees. That's what I was saying. I just gave you my alternate five nominees for that category. This is Caruso. like a Team USA lineup. Where it really it's like the, is. The, other, the bench five could beat the starting five. Hoffman not getting nominated for Lester Bangs is kind of incredible. And what a run for him right then. That's like right after God. Ripley. and yeah. So I was really upset about No Caruso and Morris. And then I saw the first three nominees. I was like, oh, all right. Yeah. I mean, Jesus, Del Toro, Bridges, and Phoenix. Those are like iconic roles yeah. for all three. Phoenix was amazing in Gladiator. Yeah. And then that led me to the realization that Crow had Gladiator and Proof of Life same year. I know. This is just astonishing. I love the double movie. That's here. like winning points and assists. Did Westbrook do that? No, he was first in one and second in the other. Yeah. Tiny Archibald. Did, uh, did Harden ever do that? No. He might, might end up doing it this year. All right, uh, let's take a break and then we're going to get to the categories. All right, as predicted, this has already gone way, on way too long. The categories, we'll go, we'll go quick through these in case you haven't seen this movie because there, there's a couple other things I want to What a podcast for you if you haven't seen this movie. Oh, my God. <laughs> Craig, Craig, do you, you think this movie sounds good based on how we're talking about it? Yeah, I can't wait to watch it. <laughs> there you go. We got yeah. Craig. We got another Proof of Life fan. Most rewatchable scene, Peter abducted by the Gorilla Rebels. Mm -hmm. And it, I love that Volkswagen Cabriolet he has too. When you see that, so he kind of, he crouches in the car and he's trying to make a call. But I was trying to think like, is there a scarier moment than you're in your convertible Jeep or whatever he's driving and all of a sudden there's a, somebody gets shot and then you just see dudes with that masks coming out of the awesome. fucking hill. That scene is so good because it's so confusing what's going on with those two guys on the motorcycle and the cop. Yeah. And then all those guys repelling down the uh You see guys forward. in mass repelling? Yeah. It's like, the, I, I'm fucked. Yeah. There's no way out of this. I'm in trouble. Second one, the crow comes back. They get rid of him. One, Ar two, three guys with guns. Table full of money. <laughs> Arturo. Snapping assholes. Arturo, the person, after he had told them yeah. they're going to suggest a local, don't trust this person. He leaves because his insurance company screws it up. And then uh, Meg Ryan is forced to turn to Arturo and the Ransom Nappers, yes. as I have named them. Yeah. Crow comes back in. Caruso. Caruso from, from behind, yeah. And they foil it, and it's great. Arturo, I thought you were going legit. <laughs> <laughs> How are you, Arturo? 
And then uh, Meg Ryan's sister-in-law, as you point out, one of the fun things with kidnapping movies is when normal people are in kidnapping yes. situations. And the sister-in-law does a good job of just freaking she out. freaks There's out. money, there's guns. They're just having a stroke. When um, they leave, she's like, oh my God. Yeah. Caruso convincing Russell Crowe to go get the hostages. Mm -hmm. We just talked about that scene. I threw this in just because I love it. Russell Crowe finds out who Marco is, the person negotiating yeah. with them. With the, with, the, with the woman who works in the house, right? Yeah. yeah. And they go, he confronts them at the parade. It's just there. a really no, good it's scene. An awesome scene. Why don't you call me Tia? I'll call you Marco. Lo siento, amigo, pero no hablo nada de inglés. You got a good game going here, man. Your wife thinks you're out with the card buddies. Card buddies think you're off with the mistress. And there you are, on the radio every Wednesday night, bartering human life. He's like, I got the tape right here. Yeah, that, that's great. Caruso confronting Crow about being in love with Meg Ryan. Oh, yeah, you think you're going to run off with her? Are you in love with this woman? Yeah. <laughs> are you in love with this woman? Terry, I, I don't know what you're holding out hope for. That you're going to save this lady's husband, she's going to see the light and run off with you. It doesn't work that way. You know that. So good. The uh, the hostage rescue. Great action scene. I mean, I would put that nine, 10 minutes against anything. See, so I would. This is why we're doing this as a rewatchables, because we don't understand why this isn't uh, considered to be an all time classic. That 10 minute rescue scene is all time. So, you, and the, here's the thing about this movie is you get to that, and I, there's a couple of parts in this movie, and I do this a lot with movies like this where I'm like, oh man, I wish Michael Mann had directed this, or I wish this had looked mm. at. But. Hackford's pretty good, man. He and, is. And when they get to the end of this, all the choices that they've made, that you, as my wife said last night, I could do with like 35% more flirting and 35% less jungle. But when you get to the end, you are really invested in yeah. David Morse getting out of there because you've been with him through every step of his captivity. Yeah. And it's like, it's pretty crucial. And at the end, you're just like, oh no, you got to watch out for Waco. You know, like, yeah. Yeah. Fucking Waco. Yeah. They set up the Wacos. Waco is the uh, evil hostage holder. Yeah. What's his evil gorilla, I guess you would call him. And then I'm going to make this its own scene. The very end. Oh, the, the Van Morrison. Van Morrison and Russell Crowe watching the car drive away. Incredible. I got to say, that's the best minute of Russell Crowe's <laughs> career. And he smiles. And then he's sad. And then he like kind of smirks again. He makes seven different facial expressions. And, it's, and, it, and it really feels like He's now left the set and he's like, how are we going to tell Dennis Quaid about this? <laughs> <laughs> you can see him racing all through his, fuck, how are you going to promote this movie? I'm in love with this woman. Choice. Great music choice. One of the best ending songs. Yeah. Every time I hear it, I'm like, oh shit. I, 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 what was the name of that? They, you go have to go listen yeah. to the whole thing. I don't know how they got the rights to it. Van Morrison's such a weirdo and stuff like that. Probably the best song they could have picked for that moment. One of the best closing credit songs ever. Then they come away from Russell Crowe with the helicopter yeah. shot and they and just show. zoom through. It's so fucking great. Yeah. Oh my God. And and he is like, I honestly think he's one of the most talented actors we've ever had for, for male actors. For movie stars? Yeah. Yeah. For sure. I think he's like top five or six, like how we talk about basketball players or football players, like who had all the tools, who could do the most things, like. He's he's up there. He's amazing. So what was your most rewatchable scene? I just want to put a special shout out to when Terry first goes to Alice and Janice 
and is like, I'm Terry, like, here's what's happening. And yeah. they do the montage of him. It's like him explaining who these the rebel guerrillas are right. and what they're being like. They used to just be Marxists and then they were kidnappers and now they're cocaine dealers. Yeah. And they have they like basically run drugs in this country and they kidnap for like to keep the profits coming in. And like as they're doing that, they cut back and forth between the rebel camps and him explaining it. That scene's awesome. I also really like the extended fight between David Morse and Meg Ryan mm, in the beginning. At the very beginning. Because it's also like that great, like, what would you do situation where you're like, you know that the entire movie, she's like, the last things that we said to each other were so hurtful. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, there's such- That's a good point. And it's such a great setup for the movie because not only does it set it up where she's feeling like- Man, I got to come up with that extra fifty thousand dollars. But like, also, like, you can kind of see the she's cracks. Still in that fuck that guy mode. The cracks of their relationship, where he might be coming in and be, like, she she's like this romantic ex hippie, and she might be drawn to some like independent spirit like that because things are kind of falling apart with her husband. If you don't have that scene, people really turn on the Meg Ryan character. I yeah, think. it's true. So, what's age the best? The most? I mean, I'm sorry, the most rewatchable. I'm gonna go. I mean, the kidnapping scene is incredible. That's just like over the hostage rescue. I'm going to go just get kidnapped. Downtown one. This is downtown three. But I just don't think I've ever seen anything like that kidnapping scene where it's like that, that traffic jam and the way that he goes up and there's like a procession. So he can't take his usual street. It's great. And he's calling Texas and the mobile phone's not working. And the Jack Crawford, not Jack Crawford, but the guy from Silence of the Lambs is yeah. on the phone with him. Oh. Well, we're going to get to that guy. I'm going hostage rescue. What's age the best? The last hour, hour of this movie is one of the best hours of any movie for me. Yeah. From the moment, and, I, and I've marked it exactly when it is, when the sister leaves to go get the money. It really, it's at like the 113 mark. If you just watch from that point on, it is the best hour. Janice of, is kind of a buzzkill because yeah. like she doesn't even like the fact that Meg Ryan's smoking so much, which I love. Meg yeah. Ryan is like out of her gourd. She in this always one. has to say. Yeah. Well, as soon as Janice leaves, it jumps up a notch. Because now it's like, now they're stuck together. Mm-hmm. Now it's just the movie gets going. The last hour is great. Russell Crowe, leading man. We talked about it. Uh, I don't know if we talked about this. Every Caruso scene is aged the best. <laughs> <laughs> I fucking love that guy. Uh, the lessons of hostage negotiation. We learned about that yeah. in this. Three lessons, according to Russell Crowe. Rely on nobody local. Uh-huh. Trust nobody. Don't offer a number too fast or they'll demand a new one. Right, because it'll just be a down payment. It'll be like, thank you for the down payment. Now we're going to renegotiate a new fee. Be patient. Mm -hmm. So if anyone ever takes producer Craig, I'm going to stick by all those three things. The Crow Ryan sexual attention, it's real and it's spectacular. Yeah. It's really like, you really feel like they're going to start fucking the moment the camera, (laughs) the the guy says, all right, cut. Let's go to the trailer and go. Like she's... And there's a specific point when it flips, and I think it's right around when the sister leaves. Yeah. When every time she's looking at him, she's just sizing him up, and uh, and I don't feel like it's fully acting. And if I'm Dennis Quaid and I'm watching that movie, I'm just bummed out by about the halfway point. Yeah. I'm like, ah, oh, fuck. I know. I know that look. Oh, man. <laughs> what, what did we say this place was called? I wrote Tecate down. That's not oh, wrong. Uh... That's a beer. Tecala? Tecate. <laughs> They're in the land of Tecate. Yeah, Tecala. Takala. Yeah, not Takate. Amazing scenery. Yeah. Waka the stone bad guy. He's <sighs> aged wonderfully. Yeah. You sleep with the pigs. It's the whole the whole relationship with like Waka and then also Linda, who's like nice to him for yeah. a while. But then when he tries to get her to get to, to let him out, she's just like, fuck you. Like, I'm not going to do that. And then uh, trying to figure out when they started fucking in real life. 
I think it's right when the sister was leaving the airport. I think they'd at least made out in Russell Crowe's trailer. At there's that point. a there's a photo I just saw today. I don't know if it was like where it was from, but from the the making of the movie and Russell Crowe's wearing this rugby shirt and Meg Ryan is like two centimeters from him and Taylor Hackford's like standing with them, but like is not paying attention. I'm like, and Taylor Hackford has claimed that he didn't know about it until like the very end of the shoot. And I'm like, yeah, come on, man. <laughs> come, come on, Taylor. I forgot Caruso had a quote. They asked him if he knew what was going on and Caruso said, it is be much funnier to have Caruso read this over me, but what I was aware of was two people digging into the material and allowing the chemistry to happen. There you David go. Caruso. <laughs> uh, what stage is the best for me? I, just Caruso is incredible. It's, yeah. it's, I don't think anything's ever aged better than Caruso in this movie. I want his wardrobe so bad from this movie. It's so generic. It's just like a black leather jacket. <laughs> yeah. And dad jeans and like a blue they shirt. Spend no money on yeah. poor Caruso. Uh, what's age the worst? You could dump the opening scene in my mind. I don't need about it. About Chechnya? Yeah, I don't need it. Might even actually be... I mean, it does make you think like this guy's really crafty and good in a war zone. Don't need it. Yeah. I I actually was thinking, we don't see Crow until the 25-minute mark. I think that might be the... I mean, I'm sorry. We don't see Crow with Meg Ryan. And until... As, yeah. They're like, this is our guy from K&R. It's Russell Crow. That might be the first time we should see him. I don't know if I need to see him with his son. They used England. to take more chances of stuff like that. What do you, you know? mean? They used to just like, you know, Jack, Jack Nicholson shows up midway through A Few Good Men. They used to, they used to like yeah. take more chances with, but they you don't need to saved, see this guy at first. And that's another what's age worse. This movie's a little too long and I think you could have cut out nine minutes, 10 minutes, really. You cut out the opening scene. And one you cut out a couple shots. other crow scenes. <laughs> now, now we're at two hours, yeah. which is a lot... A lot more manageable. Another what's age the worst. This was the first movie where Meg Ryan definitely dipped into the the magic of Botox or whatever was going on, where she was America's sweetheart. Yeah. And it, look, it happens. All the actors do this, but it seemed it seemed somehow different for her to do it. Like, I think oh, I Meg was Ryan. more distracted by how I forgot how like nervy she was in this, and like she's yeah. like a really the- unhappy character. Uh, and she just like, seemed like she was at a different point in her career and her life almost with this cat. She's, as you said, like jittery. Yeah. She's got, she had like a little nose thing or a Botox thing or she, and she's she had a little work done. Yeah. It, it was not my one Harry met Sally Meg Ryan, but they cut out the Crow Ryan sex scene in this. So they had filmed one. They filmed one. Hackford said they tried it with the screening audiences both ways and the movie worked better. Not with the sex scene. Okay. In my opinion, this is the biggest flaw of the movie. I think you need the sex scene. I would have the sex scene. Because it makes the end more poignant? Yeah. Well, for two reasons. One, he kisses her out of nowhere. Right. That is... So That's I, fucking weird. I, I, we, last right night, I got to, to the, the kiss, and, and then I was like, wait, did I miss the first kiss? Because this yeah. seems like a really familiar kiss. Yeah, it, just, it doesn't feel right. Yeah. And I think if you have the sex scene in there, we don't have to... I don't need to like a basic instinct, like camera on the ceiling showing him riding her riding him for 10 minutes. But could they at least see? <laughs> yeah. At least see, a you know, that they the got head. it on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, and I think that buys us more currency with what happens next. Like, oh, they're fucking. Yeah. And now he's going to rescue the husband. And my guess is one of two things. Either the research audiences were like, I don't like her. Or 
they must have been so afraid of this controversy about them dating. Well, this is life. like a real like you know this in Castaway. You really like to think about the the, the politics of what you do when the person's away, right? Like how long? It's great. Yeah, it's a, it's one of my favorite things. So. Do you think that the character that Meg Ryan plays is in the wrong for falling for the character? That- I don't, in this case, no, because she thinks her husband's probably dead and he said that mean thing about their baby in Africa. Right. She's probably still holding on to that. She's a little mad. Maybe they drifted apart a tiny bit. But Helen Hunt, you're like, Helen Hunt, I mean, she got married within a year and a half. <laughs> <laughs> they hadn't even found, they hadn't even found any plane wreckage. And she was already <laughs> at her next wedding. That was inexcusable. The last what age the worst for me. This this is ironic. This goes into uh, what we were just talking about. And I really think they needed the sex scene. It's one of those deleted scenes that they, they never have deleted sex scenes. They don't yeah. put the, it's not fair to the actress. So they rescue David Morse. Mm-hmm. Pull him in. Helicopter lands. She's crying. She's like, oh, your feet. He's sitting in the car. Oh, my God. Well, she takes a little bit of time to warm up to him. It's just uh, hugging. He has to smell like holy hell. That's they, the thing. Can, so this is my. Can you imagine how bad he smelled? This is not even a picking nit. It's just like a. Maybe this is an unanswerable question. I don't want to get ahead of it. Okay, save it. Okay, sitting there, and it's like we got to get you. You know, basically, we got to get you to the hospital. You're dehydrated. Yeah. You've your feet are all mangled. You've been shot. Hold on, I just have to say goodbye to Russell Crowe. I just Crow. need one minute. I to just get need one teary-eyed minute. to talk to this guy. I just need one minute. You stay here and uh-huh. watch us from afar. This isn't going to be weird at all. Yeah. And she goes off and she thanks Russell Crowe. And it's longer than a minute. She comes back crying. If I'm David Morris, I'm like, what the fuck just yeah. happened? Are yeah. you fucking that guy? <laughs> it's my first reaction. I'm not even thinking about my feelings. Did you fuck that guy? <laughs> there's no question that, and he kind of sees it and there's like this knowing kind of look on great, his face. It's a great, great last few minutes because everything goes unsaid. So I think they break up within two months. The the Russell Crowe, Alice and I Peter think Morris, break up. I think Alice and Peter break up. I mean, we, we could talk about the possibilities of proof of life too for as long as you possibly well, can. That's coming later. Okay. All I know is this. If I'm kidnapped mm-hmm. and I'm in a fucking jungle yeah, and I try to escape and I get wood ripping into my calf and my Achilles, yeah. my feet are all fucked up. I've lost 40 pounds. I have this beard. Yeah. I'm like near death. Then I escape. You've missed an entire Celtics postseason. I've missed. I don't know what's going on in sports. <laughs> I have to shoot Jaco, Waco. Yeah. Um, fly, fly in a helicopter. I got Caruso screaming. I'm so traumatized by all this. And I land. I want my wife. I want I want it to be us. Yeah. You don't get a minute. Yeah. You don't get a minute to say goodbye to Russell Crowe. Guess what? Call him on the fucking phone. Yes. You know what you don't get? It's three minutes coming back with you more upset than when, <laughs> when you rescued. I got rescued. <laughs> now I'm like, what the fuck? Get out of here. Fuck you. Yeah. Anyway, I'm a spiteful person. Casting what ifs. Harrison Ford originally offered the lead role, turned it down. Yes. I'm Doesn't, so glad. Thank God. This way, he would have ruined this he movie. Would have I been, love Harrison Terry Ford. Terry would but. have been like, it would have been so much older. Like it would have just wouldn't have worked. No, no way. Russell Crowe turned down the role of Logan slash Wolverine in X-Men mm-hmm. because he did not want to play another similar role to Gladiator. Mm. Felt the characters were too similar. Wolf Wolverine did Proof of Life instead. I found this. This isn't really part of uh, this movie, but I just had to tell you this. 
because it was I was in I found this whole thing on IMDb where it's like a biography of the person has all these weird facts in there. Russell Crowe nearly finalized a deal to reunite with director Michael Mann on Collateral in 2004. Uh, oh, really? But scheduling conflicts with Eucalyptus, a Doom film project, prevented him from taking the role, which later went to Tom Cruise. How does Tom Cruise gets the later? <sighs> what a what if. I mean, Hollywood, like, like our lives are completely different. Do you think Grantland starts if that happens? No. <laughs> I think I'm living in Bristol. <laughs> I think I'm with Rachel Nichols on the jump. Yeah. If Russell Crowe had been in, in Collateral? If Russell Crowe's in Collateral, I'm on, Rachel, I'm on with the jump right now, Rachel Nichols. The butterfly effect, yeah. Yeah. Um, also, he turned down The Matrix, which I never realized. Oh, did he? So Will Smith did too. He said, uh, I just didn't get it. I couldn't get past page 42. The world was just not interesting to me. <laughs> so he was- Something pretty crazy happens on like page 44 yeah. of that script. <laughs> so um, he was in that, he was that guy for like six years that is just getting offered every part. Yeah. I'm amazed he wasn't in The Departed. Oh, he, yeah. Like he could have played the Alec Baldwin role, right? Absolutely. I guess he was too big for it. Dino Waiters Award- this is David Crusoe. We could just congratulate. Although I would give, like to give an honorary shout out to Pamela Reed. And she Jan was good. Janice. Yeah. Arturo's pretty good too. Yeah. If you did the box score for, for Caruso in this movie, it would be like one of those James Harden first halves yeah. against Brooklyn. It'd be like 20 minutes, 48 points. Yeah. 10 for 11 from three, 20 free throws. And when he, at the end, when he goes, we're going to Roma, Arrivederci! <laughs> and he keeps yelling that at this guy. For it's no so reason. weird. They rescue this Italian banker. Yeah. And for some reason, Caruso just keeps shouting, you want to go to Roma? Arrivederci, Roma! <laughs> While they're rescuing him from a, from a hostage situation. He's like already in The Sopranos. <laughs> yeah. He's like just a crazed maitre d'. Half-assed internet research. Hackford cut the uh, love scene from the film. As I said, he said it was completely my decision. I screened the film with or without the love scene and had to go with the version that worked best for the audiences. I don't believe you. The shoot was brutal. Frequent hailstorms, mudslides. 23 members of the crew came down with a case of severe altitude sickness mm -hmm. at 14,000 feet high. Two volcanic eruptions. Tear gas at one point wafted onto the set from a nearby riot. And very sadly, somebody died. Yeah, David Morris's body double. The stand-in, Will Gaffney, was killed in an onset accident. They have not talked about it. Moore said he lost 25 pounds. And then he said on Taylor Hackford, there was one day when he lost it really badly. He lost it with me and he lost it at some of the girls who'd never acted before. He lost it with the crew. He lost it with everybody. Everything was going wrong. He was so out of control of the environment. Because he was talking about how they would shoot these things. It would rain. They'd have to cancel another day. Yeah. Sounds like a fun set. Uh, they filmed it mainly in Ecuador, by the way. This is a weird story. I almost don't believe this is true, but I think it is. So they filmed that rugby scene. One of the extras asked Russell Crowe for some acting advice. After their conversation, Crowe remembered the student's interest, sent him autographed posters and photos from his film Gladiator, wrote him a letter. The letter said, a journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step. The extra? Do you know what it is? No. Henry Cavill. No. Yeah. No. Yeah. Really? And then Crow played his dad in the Superman movie because they had stayed friends. Oh, wow. Yeah. Proof of life. How about that? Um, during the scene when Caruso says, these guys are my Panama crew. 
<laughs> you could see a piece of cardboard on the wall behind with Just Cause written on it. Just Cause was the U.S. invasion of Panama to capture Nor- Noriega. Okay. So you go there. I like that. And then, um, so this is what Russell Crowe says. I watch, At the beginning of the movie, he jumps on the helicopter. Russell Crowe says, Russell Crowe says, probably one of the stupidest things I ever did was in a movie called Proof of Life. So this is like years later. Right at the beginning of the film, there's a sequence where I run up to this helicopter and I jump onto it and it takes off. So I actually did that. I ran up and I grabbed the strap and then it takes off up to a hundred feet. The only thing that stopped me from falling off was that I had a good grip on the strap. So he's saying that he did not have a safety harness on in that shot. Yeah, and I watched it. It didn't seem like it was 100 feet high. It definitely did seem like he jumped on it, though. It's it's also, I mean, like, ever since then, it's like Tom Cruise has been like, fine, I'm just going to, like, fly through the Himalayas then on yeah. a, a helicopter and teach myself how to, how to fly. Russell Crowe. Apex Mountain. Really nobody except uh, David Morris. I don't even think Caruso, because Caruso, I would say M1. No, I would say, I'd say he was still at base camp. <laughs> He'd come down from the peak of NYPD Blue and was stopping on the way to the. To this the character lives on Apex Mountain, but I don't think uh, yeah. does. Dino is the apex of all character actors. I think David Morris, uh, definitely Apex Mountain uh-huh. for him because he's really good in this movie and he's in a movie holding his own with yeah. a lot of famous people. The Joey Pants Award given to the That Guy from the movie. There's only, I mean, Hannibal Lecter's doctor. I know. I never knew what his name was, so I looked it up. It's Anthony Heald. Yeah, and he plays like this like slimy oil executive. He plays executive. the guy who plays in yeah. Sounds of the Lambs yeah. and in 8mm, one of my other We're favorites. all out of miracles. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Treo Buscemi or Michael K. Williams. Treo. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of amazed he wasn't in this, actually. Absolutely. Yeah. He would have been a good wacko. Sure. The Saul Rubinek Award for the overacting. <laughs> Some good nominees. Arturo really dials it up. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Waco dials it up, but the old crazy inmate. Oh, Kessler. Yeah, Kessler. yeah, yeah. Kessler a, really ratches it up. Yeah, doing the uh, the whole like like drawing in the Bible thing. Yeah, and the, he goes. His act it. is great. I think he wins. Picking nits. The maid recognized Marco's voice. Mm-hmm. His mom works for. Her. It's I. That's really. I don't convenient. even know if Russell Crowe's whole gambit, where he's like, "I have a tape of you." It's like, would anybody be like, "Oh, that's Fred." Yeah, that's that's that. What a crushing blow to Fred's reputation. Yeah, I don't think so. We are in kidnap country. What did everybody get paid for the? What did yeah, so those if guys? they so only they, have six fifty, I guess they're supposed to be saying that the Italian guy is probably like the big fish of this whole rescue, and that they can get that should have been the movie Peter back. Yeah. But it's just that, like that, the Italian is the one that's going to pay for everything. But I, I still don't understand: is David Caruso working for another one of those Lutheran insurance or risk? Okay, companies? It's a little ambiguous. Yeah, I thought basically they have the media rights to this. That's what they negotiated. <laughs> <laughs> so if there's a movie, right? So Dino gets Caruso, to Dino gets to sell the movie. Dino's like, the I'm directing this. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> <Arriva> <laughs> <Darcy>. <laughs> uh, My big nitpick. Meg Ryan's character, you never see her actually smoke. She so, holds a cigarette in seven different scenes, and she, it's just she's just holding it. I looked on never smoke. I did a, I did a little research into this because okay. one of my pet peeves as a former smoker is celebrities who can't smoke, who yeah. don't know how, don't know what they're doing. And I was looking up whether or not Meg Ryan was a smoker. She, there are, uh, uh, you'd be surprised to know, a lot of message board threads dedicated to whether or not a certain celebrity is smoking or not. Really? And apparently, is that a website? Meg Ryan was allegedly a chain smoker who didn't want anyone to know she was a chain smoker 
So I don't know why she would look so awkward holding the cigarette in this movie. And like when she lights it, it's like she's never lit a cigarette before. But she's right. She's never really taking drags. So I read that online before I watched the movie again. And then I was like, there's no way she didn't take a drag. Never takes one. Pamela Reed looks like more of a comfortable smoker than she does. Yeah. Also found out Russell Crowe was two, three packs a day. That's great. What a legend. And then he quit and he couldn't quit. I know. Not sure Russell's going to be around. In your experience, like Hollywood actors, like more often than not, they're they're smokers, right? Yeah, because you're killing all this time on the set, and you're going out, you're staying up late at night. It's great life. (laughs) Best quote: It's either "Don't you die on me, man," "Don't you fucking die on me," "Don't you fucking die on me, man." I'm gonna tell you, you guy always does this shit, man. You're a pussy. You're a fucking pussy, man. Or uh, who's the man? <laughs> you are stuff of legends. <laughs> who's the man? Stuff of legends. Stuff. You are the man, Sandro. Stuff of legends would have been a good name for the ringer. We should have thought stuff of that. Stuff of legends. Stuff yeah. of legends. Welcome to stuffoflegends.com. I love both of those. I'm not picking between them. No, it's anything. Anytime Dino opens his mouth, yes, yeah, is the, the best, best quote. quote. Could this be remade as a 10 episode Netflix show? Is the next category. I say no, but I'm so disappointed they didn't have a sequel of with Crow and Caruso spinning off and doing another kid. And thing. also, I would have greenlit that. Here's, in five here's seconds. the easiest thing. God damn it. She leaves Peter. She comes and finds Russell Crowe in London. He's doing his business. And, you know, there's a little bit of spark. They have a little bit of a run, but then they find out really like their relationship was born out of chaos. Yeah. It's not, it's not, it's not like a stable thing. Right. They go on a vacation to save the relationship and she gets kidnapped. Yes. And then he has to get Dino to get his girlfriend back. And that's what brings them back together. I mean, what are we doing here? I don't if know. If we can't get that made. I don't know. And then if you're going to, so if you were going to cast it today, who would you cast it with? Can I give you one more possible sequel? Oh, absolutely, Bill. This is no, no bad ideas in a brainstorm. I just think the next movie is, it's two years later and Caruso, he's broken up with Meg Ryan. And Caruso and Russell Crowe now have their, what did he call it? Their shop? Their shop. They They're, have their shop. They're doing l- long lunches and consulting. But Russell Crowe, you know, his his son's older. Yeah. Son's a big rugby player now. He's out. He doesn't, no more jobs Just for him. wants to watch He'll his son's plan. rugby games. Yeah. He's done his last job. <laughs> but now there's a big job and Caruso has to pull him in for one last job. Okay. We're, and Meg Ryan's just out of the picture. She's South Korea. Smoking somewhere in South yeah, she's Korea. she's out. We're, okay. We got rid of her. She's making In the Cut or whatever that movie is. <laughs> one of those should have worked. I Here's what I want. Russell Crowe and David Caruso in a um, show saving called, somebody who's been kidnapped. Just together. a show called K&R and it's Russell Crowe and David Caruso. K&R. Yeah. So if ABC was like Tuesdays at 10 o'clock, the, the premiere episode of K&R, I think, okay, great. Yeah. Josh Dumas. Okay. Yeah. Come on. Let's dial <laughs> Josh it up. Josh Dumas. Uh, probably unanswerable questions. I got one of these. My only one was how much is your spouse worth to you in a ransom situation? I think you have to finish this movie and really decide what the number is. <laughs> For me, it's like I'm paying whatever because I have sure? kids. Right. When you have two kids, then, but if you're just single. So if you're, you would, I, let's actually have this conversation. If it's just you, would you liquidate and the wife, your entire just to get your wife back. I probably shouldn't give my game plan away now. No, I guess not. Because now I'm going to give the kidnappers the tip. Yeah, I don't want to give my number. There is no ceiling for Bill. Chris, here's my number. It's 450. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to go a dime higher. Uh, Okay. So you have to answer that. 
My unanswerable question was much simpler. It was yeah. what 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 did the guy who was the, had the third seat in the plane row think of Meg Ryan and David Morse? Because they go straight to the airport. Oh my god! The whole thing is like we have a flight to Dallas in an hour. So you're on the the five o'clock out of Tacala going and he back to like Dallas. A homeless person. He's been in the jungle yeah. for like three months. Yeah, and she's crying. And chain smoking because she's missing out on the fact that the love of her life is standing on the hill back in Takala. And this guy has a wicker basket wrapped around his infected leg. And they just get on a Pan Am flight to Dallas. He has multiple infections. <laughs> <laughs> He's got- Are you asking the, the, the flight attendant if there may be another seat available? So do you think... You don't think they sprung for first class on that? With what money? They just had the, all the money. They, didn't they just spend it on like paying for this K&R? One way to Dallas I'll go coach I'll do the I.O. Yeah Are we uh, So that's that's my unanswerable question Van Morrison Great job there Um, Yeah I don't know what to tell you It does seem like they could have thrown in a shower for me Yeah Maybe Maybe they have one at the airport the Tecate Airport, yeah. Tecala, yeah, Tecala International. <laughs> uh, who won the movie? Crow. I know you're going to think Caruso a couple of times. I don't. I actually think it's unassailably Crow. It might be my favorite Crow performance. It is my favorite Crow performance. Gladiator was an incredible movie. I couldn't wait to buy it on DVD. I watched it a bunch of times. I had my column in 2000, 2001. I used Maximus lines. I would throw them in there. It's awesome. He's better in this movie. Yeah. He's really good in Gladiator. I think he's really good in Insider. I like Confidential. Wouldn't put that top three. Yeah. But uh, he's really great. I think I think you're right. Mel Gibson probably was the only other one. And it's, 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 and it's like almost impossible to like even think about it. It's like Crow really does own this role. Do you think Affleck could have been in this movie? I was just, you know what I was just thinking of myself? I, I, feel, I do feel like Affleck has it in him. You know what would have been cool, but probably too intense, is Daniel Day-Lewis in this role. Because uh, it was like, he never did a movie like this. Yeah. He always is like, I play a, I'm playing like a, like a one-footed guy, or I'm a president, or I'm, I'm, there will be blood. Well, you know, like, the other one who this could have been is Denzel. Wow. Well, I mean, this is a classic Denzel movie. Yeah. But. We never really talked about whether Meg Ryan was good enough in this movie. That's I think she's great. Thing. I think she's great. I feel like I, I, I feel like she's like got like a I real. I wish she was smoking more. I feel, but I, I just love the energy, and I think that like the whole thing where like they just kind of casually mention it, but that she's like this, she's an ex hippie who's kind of like lost a little bit of her idealism, and she yeah. follows her husband on these projects, and then she gets into like charitable organizations and stuff. But they obviously have this bad past, and she's just like kind of cracking up a little bit and the relationship between her and Pamela Reed is really good. I think she's awesome in this movie. I like uh, when Crow rescues David Morse finally in the jungle. David Morse is freaking out and he's, he's like, like Alice sent me. Yeah. Your daughter. Alice. Alice sent me. Alice, Alice, your wife sent me. Alice, your wife. Alice. She told me about Molly, your daughter, how she died in Africa. My daughter. Molly. Alice told me, your wife, so you would know. I'm here to get you home, okay? All right? 
Yeah, great movie, Proof of Life. Um, you can't really see this anywhere other than you, you can pay for it on, on iTunes, yeah, on iTunes or Vudu, or uh-huh. it's not on Amazon, not on Netflix for some reason. It was, I think, for a while. Netflix should just release this and make it seem like it's a new movie, like how they did with you, the Lifetime show. People would it's freak a out. Brand new movie with Russell Crowe. It's called. Why Proof don't people of Life. do that more often? I, I doubt people even do this happen, Chris. The next fifteen will be for them. This one was for us. <laughs> What's the next one after this? Uh, next one after this is The Warriors. Oh, great. 40 year anniversary. Okay. We already taped that one. Warriors. That's next. Uh, thanks as always for listening to the Watchables. Mm-hmm.